Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. What a blessing to worship our awesome God. He is so uh, magnificent in every way, so glorious and good. Just one announcement today. We have a quarterly meeting after the service today. So if you want to stick around 20 minutes or so after you've had your coffee and tea, we can share what the Lord's doing. It's quite a full uh, gathering. So or as far as the, the agenda is quite stacked. So looking forward to that, hearing from ministry leaders and with the Lord, uh, what, what he did while Anna and Cara were serving. So we're here about that. And uh, yeah, let's thank the Lord. Thank you, Father, that you are our Father. We can call you that in truth because we have been born again through faith in Jesus, that we have a new life through you. And thank you for the future that you have and the plans and the way you teach us, the way you help us, how you open our eyes to see and give us insight into the world around us and into you and your character and your wisdom and your, your holiness and the things that we admire and just blow us away daily with how awesome you are. We thank you for this place where we can gather and for our brothers and sisters you've united us with by faith in Christ and thank you for the body that you've made us in him throughout the whole world and that we can worship you together, we can serve you and honor and glorify you. It's amazing, Lord, your grace. Thank you again for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. It's so easy to take God's work for granted because we're just inundated with the things that he has made. And it's like all around us, we have people and animals and insects and plants created by God. And we marvel over how intricate they are and the things that they do, their behaviors and abilities. And it's like without words, I always wonder about animals, like how they actually communicate with each other. And you've got the dolphin slapping the water with its tail that says something that the other dolphins know what it means. And honeybees, they dance to show where the good pollen is. And like, I'm like, how? And, and ants, they use uh, chemoreception to use chemicals to communicate with each other. So they can excrete different chemicals that say, oh, here's some food, here's danger, different things. And it's like, wow, it's amazing the things God has done. And we have senses that are built into our bodies where we can see and hear and touch and taste and smell. And we can feel that misty breeze on our face or see the blue mountains. And it's like a sea of gum trees. You're like, there are so many, no human has planted these and yet they grow. They grow right out of the rock. Like God is awesome. So when you see that thing, that's just full of splendor and glory, you just say only God could do such a thing. We look into the sky. We're dazzled by the sun, the stars in their place and the moon that has this predictable, uh, you know where it's going to be with mathematical precision because God designed it to be so. And by God's power, we exist. We consider and marvel over all he's done. So if you could turn to Job 36.22, we'll hear Elihu wrap up his address to Job and his friends. Through his talk, he's exalted the sovereignty, the power, the wisdom and justice of God. And when man accuses God of making a mistake or being wrong, it's always man who's revealed to be wrong. God is always right. And unlike his other friends, Job's other friends, Elihu showed how when God allows suffering, it can be for redemptive purposes, to direct people, to teach them, even to save them, that it's help that God is doing rather than harming. 
And since God and his ways are above ours, it follows we cannot do or even understand what he's working towards, what his plans and purposes are. And we want to know when we're struggling, when we see tragedy in the world, we want to know why that's happened. We want an explanation. But instead of being a hindrance to faith in God, those struggles, they are provided opportunities for us to have strengthened and refined faith in him. They don't hinder us from God. They actually draw us to him. It shows us our need for him. It gives us perspective then of how great he is. I mean, how many people came to God at the first because of struggles that opened their eyes to a profound personal need? Many of us. It is the almighty unchanging God who is good. And it's only in him that we have eternal rest and peace. We pick up Elihu's Discourse in Job 36, verse 22. Behold, God is exalted by his power. Who teaches like him? Who has assigned him his way or said to him, you have done wrong. Remember to magnify his work of which men have sung. Everyone has seen it. Man looks on it from afar. God is our maker. He has this unique position above us all. Everything has been created, sustained, and provided for by him. And we've only seen the edges of his ways. We haven't seen everything that God's done, but what we can see, we marvel over it. We've been created in his image and our bodies have abilities that are like a shadow of his characteristics, like our ability to see and hear and uh, think he can do all those without limitations. Like my vision is limited. If, I, if my eyelids are shut, I cannot see. It's just a very thin piece of skin that keeps me from seeing anything. If someone put their hand in front of my face, I can't see. If there's a wall in front of me, I can't see. But God's not limited by walls or even by time. He sees everything all at once because he is God. He hears everything. He knows everything. We think about one or two things at a time, but he knows everything all at once. He knows what has happened. He's outside the confines of time. He knows what will happen and what will be. And Elihu asked, who teaches like him? Answer, no one. No one teaches like God. Our teachers, they gave us assignments we needed to complete God gives us assignments intended to not only teach us, but to change us. It's not just about gaining information in our brains, but changing our hearts, changing our minds. No one can assign God something to do and give him a time frame to do it. Like, okay, by next Thursday, this assignment needs to be completed, God. It's like, he's God. He's the one who assigns things, not us. Now, we've all had teachers or coaches, hopefully along the way, who have been an inspiration to you. Among your teachers, there's been some that you really connected with. And you're like, I really like the way he or she teaches or this class. I find that interesting. And then you have the opposite, right? You have teachers that you're like, oh, this isn't my favorite class. This is not my favorite subject. And I wish things were different. I wish we didn't have those quizzes all the time. Or like, oh, you know it's for your good, but you still don't like it, right? And there have been teachers in my life who inspired me to think about things in a different way. And I respected them and I admired them. And people that took time and invested care in us and they cheered us to succeed and excel, we gravitate to, we enjoy those teachers. Who knows us better than God who created us? 
And who is wiser than he who knows all things, who sees all? And it's not like God had to pass a series of exams to be qualified to teach us or to be God. He is God and perfect in every way. When a driver drifts into your lane, we think to ourselves or we say out loud, stay in your lane. Like, but remember that lane, it was engineered. It was the bitumen was laid down. It's been painted. It's been sealed and now enforced by local authorities that people would obey. But God doesn't have a lane. He sits enthroned above all things as king of everything, king of kings and Lord of lords. He rules and reigns over all and every natural law must submit to his authority that he's created. Who can teach any, who can teach God anything about us or this world that he didn't know because he made us. From our vantage point, Elihu says, we only see him from afar. We're unable to fully appreciate everything that he does. All that he knows. It's beyond us. Verse 26. Behold, God is great and we do not know him. Nor can the number of his years be discovered. For he draws up drops of water, which distill as rain from the mist. Which the clouds drop down and pour abundantly on man. Indeed, can anyone understand the spreading of clouds, the thunder from his canopy? Look, he scatters his light upon it and covers the depths of the sea. For by these he judges the peoples. He gives food in abundance. He covers his hands with lightning and commands it to strike. His thunder declares it. The cattle also concerning the rising storm. He points out God's greatness in this word great. It's exalted or expansive. This, this word is rarely used in the Hebrew uh, and it means excellent. That's the way it's translated. You think about those who are great in power, fame, and authority in the world, how they're not really accessible to you. You can't really know them. You can know like their hometown or where they grew up or the name of the album or the movie they did or their position in parliament or what, why they're world famous, the things that you admire about them. You may see them posing on the red carpet or the paparazzi may snap up with a telephoto lens, them on holiday, you know, basking somewhere in the sun, but you don't know them. You haven't spoken to them. You don't know what they're thinking. You don't know a thing about them, really. In a greater sense, though God's work is displayed all around us, we don't really know him. How could we? That's the point that Elihu is pointing out. He's like, God is so glorious. He's so great. He's so beyond us in every way. We don't know him. How could we? The human capacity to think and reason that we have individual souls separate from our bodies. We each have a will and a conscience. This is strong evidence that God also is distinct from all created beings. He is alone by himself as God. It's kind of like your abilities are like a shadow of what God is able to do. And is the shadow anything like you? When you're walking along and you cast a shadow, the shadow isn't you. And it doesn't look like you. It doesn't have any ability at all, really. And it's like, we're made in God's image, but we are like less than a shadow of who he is. He's not like us. We're like him, but he's totally different. He is God. And he starts to hold forth now, Elihu does, the designs of God in nature. And he brings out this water cycle. Something I remember learning about in year three. How you just simply put, it's 
the collection of water that evaporates. It condenses in clouds. It falls as precipitation. The water flows and this cycle continues. And it's likely as Elihu is speaking, he's pointing to some clouds that are floating overhead. And he says, who can understand that? You can't see beyond it. You can't make that. But God does. Who can understand the spreading of clouds, the thunder from his canopy? Did you know that there's 10 common kinds of clouds that you can see in the troposphere, which is the lowest layer of the earth's atmosphere? Like we can observe them, but can we understand them? And so I, I have a few pictures that I've taken over the years. Um, and when I took these pictures many times, I'm like, this camera and my skills cannot do justice to the glory of this scene. So I just have a few. I'm going to have them show uh, some pictures in due time. Okay. So anyone know where that is? Kayama. Right? So you've got some clouds. My dad right there in the foreground checking it out. Next. This is on one of my early morning walks. You know, this, this is something you can miss if you're not out in the morning. So that is Beautiful. Continue. That's pretty awesome. Some people will recognize that location right down the road. Next. Jindabyne. Glassy conditions. Just beautiful. Magnificent. Rotorua. New Zealand. You have the land of the long cloud. And hey, there it was. little cricket training and clouds overhead. Another early morning walk. These were overhead a couple years ago at my house, and I'm like, those are the craziest looking clouds I've ever seen. Like, why are they like that one day and not other days? You have this torrent of rain falling around Rouse Hill because this is taken from my front yard in Riverston. It's just in one spot, this huge deluge, unbelievable. I don't remember the location, but beautiful. The Lord, he is awesome. So God, he spoke light into existence. He scatters it among the clouds and he makes them. And they're so different and Sometimes they rain, sometimes they don't. And there's just a shape and an edge to them. And you're like, wow, why is it just all together some days and it's spread out on others? God uses his power, Elihu says, to judge people, to provide for their needs. And depending on where you live, a flood could be feast or famine. If you grew up in uh, Egypt before the building of the Aswan High Dam, those people counted on the Nile flowing, overflowing its banks every summer because it would deposit this rich soil and nutrients that would help their plants to grow in a very dry area. In New South Wales, we're not accustomed to floods like we had last year that were very destructive and even places now that are um, underwater in Australia. Not comparable to the Noah's flood that destroyed uh, the earth at that time, but God had his purposes in them back then and now in the things he allows. 
And Elihu describes God as being in control of bolts and lightning. Really just like he, he decides where they're going to land. And he pointed out how cattle are affected by the rising storm. Now, I have no experience with cattle, but I know that you could, with our dog growing up, he would be responding to a siren. Or when there was, uh, it was 4th of July and there were fireworks being set off. Well, the dog would know. And you'd hear all the dogs howling in the area. And so it's like the forces of nature, they're unpredictable to us, but we people and animals act in predictable ways. And God has his hand in everything that happens. He knows what he's doing, even if I don't understand it. Continuing in chapter 37. At this also, my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Hear attentively the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He sends it forth under the whole heaven, his lightning to the ends of the earth. After it, a voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice and he does not restrain them when his voice is heard. God thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. For he says to the snow, fall on the earth. Likewise to the gentle rain and the heavy rain of his strength. He seals the hand of every man that all men may know his work. You ever been in the middle of a big thunderstorm? Outside, that is, can be a pretty scary situation. I remember several years ago, I was heading to the bus stop. The boys usually would walk home, but this day you could see the clouds gathering overhead. You could smell the rain in the air. And so I brought a few umbrellas and, and they had just stepped out of the bus when it just started coming down. And it was like no delay between the sizzle of lightning and the you know, explosion of thunder. And it's like, I don't startle too easily. It's probably because I'm, I'm loud myself or um, poor hearing, but there was some adrenaline in my body where it just was like, you know what? All of our umbrellas are broken. The hail is starting to pelt down. Just run, like run for home. So we're running home. We're like, woo, we're soaked to the skin, three broken umbrellas. And uh, it's like, wow, that is that it's a very different view when you're inside the house and you're like, wow, look at that. It is pouring. And then being in it and thinking I could die today. Like that thunderbolt could come really close. And, and he speaks about thunder here as the voice of God. There was a time that God spoke from heaven and people confused it with thunder in John chapter 12. When Jesus said, father, glorify your name. God said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And some who heard it, they didn't recognize it as a voice. Thunder is not the voice of God. This book isn't a book of poetry. Um, he doesn't throw lightning with his hands like those pictures of Zeus, you know, who's like just firing to smite people. It's really a poetic attribution of his power and might that he is in control of it, that he is in authority over all of it. And knowing that Job is included among the poetic books. It helps us to properly uh, interpret it. Thunder is really the loudest natural phenomenon I'm aware of. Yet it's still a weak comparison to God's strength and power. I mean, it came from him. He designed it. He designed this world and we stand in awe of him. If you're in awe of thunder and lightning, well, how much more should we be in awe of God who just holds it in his hand, who speaks it into existence? How true it is. God does things we cannot understand. At every turn, we discover things about lightning we never did before. 
Remember, when this book was written in the, in the days of Abraham, basically, they did not, had not discovered electricity yet, right? They didn't have Google or the internet. Uh, they, they didn't generate or store electricity and appliances to use them. There were no recording devices. Um, it was just recently in the last, I think, 10 years that they were able to look at lightning in 10,000 frames per second, and they learned a lot about it just because they could slow it down. I watched recently, and I think the link will be included on the sermon, but there was a storm chaser who was looking at lightning. He says, I take my camera at 1,000 frames per second, and some of the best lightning that I saw only appeared in one frame, so I couldn't use it in a video. It's like there's so much that we are not even seeing when you see the lightning. In ancient times, people did know about electric eels and electric fish. There's still no, they don't really know how an electric eel can shock other fish and stun them, but not stun itself. Like, how? And there's a lot of ideas, but no one knows, even to this day. So God, the things that he does, they're awe-inspiring. They're amazing. They make us consider, well, how is that even possible? God. Elihu shows how God was at work. He's in control of seasons. Now he brings winter into it, right? The snow is falling. Rainfall, sometimes it's gentle. Sometimes it's heavy. Are you ever annoyed at that? You're looking forward to a bit of weather. I really like the rain personally. And if I see 60 or 70% chance of rain, I'm like, right on. We get some rain. And then it doesn't rain. And I'm like, what? I was looking forward to that rain. But I need to remember that God does what he wants. And he can cause it to rain when he wants to. He has purposes that are beyond my preferences. And I can rely upon him. And verse 7, it says, he seals the hand of every man that all men may know his work. That's a bit odd, but you know, when your mouth, your lips are sealed, that means you're not saying anything. If there's a seal that remained on that scroll, like in the book of the revelation, well, the scroll is unopened. If God seals uh, the hand of every man, that means you're not able to labor. You're not able to work. You're not able to use your hands to provide. I think about when you work in a construction job, they can be rained out. They can be snowed out. There's certain industries that are shut down for periods of the, or seasons at a time because the ground is frozen because it's blizzard conditions, because you can't pour concrete in a flood and you can't paint in a blizzard. You just can't do it. So you have to wait. And for people that are relying on their hands to provide for their families and to provide food, they're really concerned. Like, how are we going to eat? How are we going to feed our family if I can't work? But he's saying God does that to accomplish his purposes. When you can't do your work because of sickness, because of the weather. And what's the purpose? That all men may know his work. That's why. That's one reason. It's not the only reason, but that's a reason why God allows that. I mean, how many people have been made redundant. They were given time and opportunity to see God's faithfulness and provision in a way that they never had before. Our perspective then shifts from self-reliance. We didn't know we were being self-reliant, but when God shut us down, it's like when he puts you on your back in a sick bed, that can be the very thing that causes you to look to God like you never had before. 
For some people, a sickbed, even a deathbed, has been a means of spiritual revival and health. But since we have the ability to meet and to gather, to open our eyes and to reason, let's consider the glory and goodness of God, that he's worth trusting now when we don't know all the answers. Job 37, verse 8. The beasts go into dens and remain in their lairs. From the chamber of the south comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds of the north. By the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen. Also with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds. He scatters his bright clouds and they swirl about being turned by his guidance that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. He causes it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. When the rain and the snow of winter falls, animals go to their dens. They seek shelter. And it's really interesting how God's created animals with different instincts. Like some birds fly away. They migrate away from a cold season. Um, Others will settle down and hibernate for months. You guys ever heard the term torpor? called torpor. What's that? Well, that's when an animal, and it's believed 43% of native Australian animals do that. Well, during certain months of the year, they really slow down. They, they don't hibernate uh, per se, but they have a great reduction in activity. But there are a lot of animals in Australia that do hibernate. Uh, snails, that's why you don't see them all year round, because they're hibernating at some points. Uh, possums, bats, and echidnas are some animals that hibernate in Australia. So if torpor lasts more than 24 hours, it's considered hibernation. So fun fact that I learned this week. Cold temperatures, right? We put on an extra jacket. We throw an extra log on the fire. In Sydney, we don't have the kind of extremes people do elsewhere. And we likely all, we have our preferred weather. Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe you lived in a place that was like, it was so cold or it was always wet or just too hot and arid. But God's ordered all the seasons. He has his purposes in even what appears to be drought or a record rainfall. Love that picture of God just blowing across that body of water just to freeze it so that cars can drive on it. God swirling the clouds around. He's like, it's like this grand dance that he just orchestrates. And as long as I've been alive, the climate has really been a politically and emotionally charged subject. You hear a lot of people sounding the alarm of our need to reduce reliance on fossil fuels or reduce pollution and, or a dismissive attitude about why it's not really a big deal and we, we really shouldn't pay it any mind. But regardless of the attitudes or the points that people make considering climate, a lot of times God is never brought into that picture at all. As far as he is sitting on the throne, that he sits enthroned over the universe. And we're more apt to think that we can do something to save the earth by our efforts than the fact God can preserve it despite our folly. We need to recognize that he is God and he's given us this world as stewards of it that we ought to be wise in our uh, conservation efforts and in minimizing pollution and in being wise with waste and usage of things. Uh, But the melting of the polar ice caps, that's really not, not nearly as devastating as a lack of faith in God and belief that he can be trusted. The Bible does speak of a temporary plague of heat that will someday take place. 
in Revelation 16, 7 through 9. It says, And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. If we believe that God is almighty, righteous, and just, then he can use whatever means at his disposal to judge, to bring people to their senses, to expose that blaspheming heart so that they might turn from their wickedness and trust him. Because Elihu says, he causes it to come, whether for correction, for his land, or for mercy. We don't always see rain or a plague as an act of mercy or something for correction or something the land needs. But God knows about that and we can entrust ourselves to him. It's wise to see that in one single event, all of these can be at work. Like God's not just doing one thing. He's doing everything and we can rely upon him. He is ever merciful. Verse 14, listen to this, O Job, stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know when God dispatches them and causes the light of his cloud to shine? Do you know how the clouds are balanced? Those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge. Why are your garments hot when he quiets the earth by the south wind? With him, have you spread out the skies strong as a cast metal mirror? He says, stand still a moment, Job. Remember, at this moment, Job is really sick. He's lost his children. He's scratching his, he has boils all over his skin. He's really itchy. He feels like God's not hearing him. And he's miserable. And, and Elihu's like, Job, just listen. Stand still and see what God does. Consider his wondrous works. And this is the man who's wondering, like, where is God in my grief and my loss and trouble? And he's desperate for an escape. He wants an explanation for why these things have happened to him. The Bible has a lot of examples of people told to stand still, to see God work. As long as we're running around trying to do what only God can do, trying to know what only God can know, there is no peace or rest there because it's only found through faith in him. Remember the Hebrews, right? God brings them out of Egypt. He brings them through the Red Sea. And then the, the Egyptians are pursuing them with their army. And they've got these chariots that they could not outrun. And the people are panicking. They're afraid. And this is what Moses said in Exodus 14, 13. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you, will, you shall see again no more forever. So right when the people wanted to run, they wanted to get away or even run back to Egypt. He says, stand still, watch God work, see what he does. And when their enemies washed up on the shore, drowned in the sea, their fear turned to celebration because God had saved them. God had delivered them. He made good on his promise. I like how Clark describes the wondrous works of God. He says, endless in their variety, stupendous in their structure, complicated in their parts, indescribable in their relations and connections, and incomprehensible in the mode of their formation, in the cohesion of their parts, and in the end of their creation. 
The fact the Hebrews, they had witnessed the power of God, right? Those 10 plagues in Egypt. If they could be afraid and if they could want to run for their lives and needed to be told to stand still to see the works of God, well, can't we also be afraid? Can't we also, shouldn't we also heed this to stand still and consider the wondrous works of God? We can doubt God's ability to save or redeem or help us in our troubles. And we can look for guidance and help and comfort and explanations everywhere, everywhere, but in God, the only place where we can find contentment, rest and life. So he asked this question, do you know how the clouds are balanced? Those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge. The point is, if we can't understand exactly how the clouds are balanced, how they can be so full of moisture and not be rent and pour forth rain. How can we know God whose plans and purposes and the things he accomplishes are beyond our sight? If you can't know everything about clouds, how can you know everything about what God is doing? Why is it we, with our limited knowledge, should doubt and question the perfect God as if we knew better? We've installed air conditioning in our house. You probably have too. And know that God did not consult with you about how to make a southerly buster come after a hot day. He knows how to do that. Elihu asked Job, Did you part, were you a participant in creation when God made the heavens? Were you there? Did he confide in you about, how do I do that? And you said, oh, well, it'd be good if we worked this out. Oh, great idea. I'll do that. No, God did not consult with anyone when he created the heavens and the earth. God created the adult human brain to weigh about 1,400 grams, has 86 billion neurons in it. What are our thoughts compared to his? Someone who can do that. Someone who can create that. Knowing that our lives are fleeting and we're helpless to save, our, save ourselves, it magnifies the grace and goodness of God. David wrote this in Psalm 8, verse 3 through 5. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. As David stood amazed looking in the heavens, he, he was amazed at them, but amazed that the God who made them would be mindful of him. Something so grand and glorious, like God would know me, that he would love me, that he would reach out to me, he would speak to me, and that we can know God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the age in which we're living. God does much more than just think, think upon us or think well of us but he sent his son to save us so we might be crowned with glory and eternal life. Verse 19 of Job 37. Teach us what we should say to him, for we can prepare nothing because of the darkness. Should he be told that I wish to speak? If a man were to speak, surely he would be swallowed up. Even now, men cannot look at the light when it is bright in the skies, when the wind has passed and cleared them. He comes from the north as golden splendor, with God is awesome majesty. As for the Almighty, we cannot find him. He is excellent in power and judgment and abundant justice. He does not oppress. Therefore, men fear him. He shows no partiality to any 
who are wise of heart. Elihu gives a a little dose of sarcasm here. He says, "Uh, in your pride, Job, you're suggesting you have perfect knowledge of God and you know exactly what to say and when to say it to him. But in light of God's glory, who can even approach him? That's like trying to fly into the sun, right? You would be burnt before you were able to approach it. How much more the glorious God? So it's a great, you can't even, he he points out, you can't even stare at the sun for an amount of time without going blind, without damaging your retinas. So how can we even look to God? Answer through Jesus Christ, whom he has sent, the savior of the world. We come to him. We look to Jesus and are saved. We're the, he's the one who causes us to be born again by grace through faith. Now there's a principle, please turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. There's a principle in 1 John that's useful to show our tendency to think we know better than God and to stand in judgment of him. Because you might say, oh, I don't think I know better than God. Like I believe God exists. I believe he is wise. And, but I've never been in that position of thinking I know better than God. Hear me out. Hear the word out. More importantly, 1 John 4, 20. It says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for he does not love his brother for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. So the principle is, if you say you love God, you must love your brother. To say you love God, but you actually hate your brother, you are a liar. That is mere words. Because you can't say, I love God, whom I have not seen, but you're showing hatred to the brother you have seen. So if you truly love God, you will obey him in loving your brother. And really, the love of God enables us to love in a way we could not before. So the proof of you loving God is loving your brother. And so if there's hatred in your heart towards your brother, that's showing a lack of love for God. Okay. Does that make sense? So John uses our relationships with other people to show how we relate to God. We were all kids once. Did you ever think you knew better than your parents or your siblings? Like, yeah, I'm not really agreeing with mom's rule on this. I don't think that's right. Many have had brothers and sisters and brothers and sisters in the church. Have you thought you knew better than them or found reasons to criticize them? We've all been students and had many teachers. Have we found fault with someone's style of teaching or the way they grade or how they run their classes. You've been in the workforce, perhaps. Have you always agreed with your boss's uh, plans or your coworkers and the way that they handled themselves? If we have criticized, if we have questioned, if we have disagreed with, if we have found fault with people we have seen, how can we say we have never done this with God whom we have not seen? Is it possible you have been living life believing you know better than God? 
And even, this is to Christians too. We need to own that. Yes, I have done that at times. I have thought I know better than God. And restoration of relationship with God, it's found we humble ourselves and repent. And we begin to obey our parents. Choose to love and accept our brother. We keep no record of wrongs to do the work assigned by our teachers or our boss as unto the Lord with joy. That's where the restoration comes because it's through faith in God and trusting in him. Elihu says, as for the almighty, we cannot find him. He is excellent in power and judgment and abundant justice. He does not oppress. Therefore, men fear him. He shows no partiality to any who are wise of heart. God is so beyond our comprehension, yet his power, his justice, his judgment, and his grace are clearly seen. It's been revealed to all through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, we've all had our favorite subjects. We've had our favorite seasons and our favorite teachers. But God shows no partiality in sending Jesus to be the savior of all who trust in him. God could have justified using his power to destroy us from the face of the earth for our sin. But instead, he desires to lavish his love upon us, to redeem us, to teach us, correct us, and bring us into a relationship with him so we can know him. We can rejoice in him. We can find rest and forgiveness in him and a new abundant life that he's promised to all who love him. Are not the ways of God past finding out? The trials and the pains that we go through, it's not for your destruction. It's for, so you would fear God, so you would know him. You would see his mercy at work in your life. So you would behold the beauty of the Lord. And may we know and remember and magnify God and his goodness, that he is great and almighty. And confess when we say, God, I have thought I know better than you in this situation. Let's trust him. Let's remember that he's always been mindful of us, how we needed him before we knew him and we still need him just as much as ever. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your salvation, for opening our eyes to see, for letting us behold your glory in the heavens and the earth and for also revealing our need to repent, to confess our sin and to choose to walk in obedience to you. Lord, keep us from thinking we know better than you that you have made a mistake because things don't make sense to us. I thank you, Lord. There's so much that doesn't make sense to us because it reveals how finite our abilities are and how limited our perspective is and how glorious and great you are, that you are sufficient. Your grace is sufficient for us. Your strength is made perfect in our weakness. Thank you that when we are weak, you are strong and you are ever strong in glory. I pray, Lord, you would reveal yourself to the heart's of everyone here, those watching online, those who, and through the week, Lord, cause us to consider how awesome and how great you are, that there's so much we don't know, but we can know you who knows us, who's made us, who loves us. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Thank you for your grace and your mercies that fail not. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.